ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our guest is Matt Sirankevich, designer, creative director, and founder at Hukuiku. And we're going to talk about designing decentralized apps today. This episode is brought to you by userlist.io, a new tool for sending event-based email to your SaaS users. Overwhelmed with existing automation tools? Try this simple solution for converting free trials, user onboarding, and promoting specific features in your web application. To learn more, join the waiting list at userlist.io. Hi, Matt. <laughs> Hi, Jane. <laughs> Thank you. Everyone. Yeah, we're, th- we're thrilled to have you here. Well, before we get started, tell us a bit more about yourself, what you do, some something about your amazing travel and your amazing work. Oh, where do I start? Okay, so um, what I do, I run uh, Hukuiku, which is a digital product studio. Uh, we work mainly with clients in the Silicon Valley, New York, and uh, some in Europe. Um, and we're focused on building human-centric apps, games, uh, digital experiences, uh, mainly for startups, but also for um, for agencies um, and sometimes bigger clients. Um, uh, my travels. So uh, I used to have I used to, I used to run startups uh, first in London, then in in the Silicon Valley, and then uh, two and a half years ago I founded Hukuiku and started traveling. It was my experiment in creating a you know a digital agency while constantly constantly traveling around the world. So over the two years, uh, I've gone across Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, then all Americas, uh, the Caribbean, uh, and so on. And just three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I moved to New York. So I just finished uh, my travels, for now at least. Oh, great. And in the <laughs> meantime, I built Hukuiku. So from what was then just me, now it's about 18 people. 18 people, yeah, and um, uh, although not everyone is full-time, uh, and uh, yeah, we've tackled quite a lot of cool stuff in those two years. Could you um, tell us a bit about what kind of projects do you typically work on? I, 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 there isn't really a typically, uh, which is actually <laughs> a great thing about it. That's what actually makes me love doing this, because... We don't have like a very narrow focus. Uh, we can pretty much develop anything or design and develop anything digital. Um, most of our work have been communication platforms and apps. Um, so sending messages, sending files, exchanging documents and uh, this kind of stuff. But we've done um, a bunch of other things. We've done games, uh, a VR experience, which was fun, um, and all sorts of other uh, other apps. Fantastic. Now let's talk about uh, decentralized apps. And decentralized mm-hmm. apps or DApps are apps uh, that use the blockchain technology and uh, distributed architecture. But I think that requires mm-hmm. um, <laughs> an introduction uh, <laughs> because uh, blockchain and everything related doesn't leave every anyone you know just yeah. neutral about it. They're either super active people who are thrilled about it or people probably like myself who are intimidated and 
mm. I experienced a phenomenon that I don't really want to dive into how the technology works mm. because I just mm. want to live in, in the previous era, I guess. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So then- could you give our listeners a brief introduction about the principles of blockchain? What, what exactly is that and why are there so many apps mm-hmm. based on that technology? Mm-hmm. Just to add to what you just said, I think it's uh, half people are really excited and really into it, half are very intimidated, and then there is like about 99.9% of human population that have never heard about it. All right. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it seems like a big thing because it's, it's in the news and so on, but actually a lot of people just don't know anything about it. And it's, it's still quite far from, from mass adoption. Um, what is it? Um, so it doesn't have to be blockchain. Blockchain was just like the first attempt uh, at solving the issue. And what it creates is a distributed ledger or public distributed ledger, which is essentially a database um, which is um, distributed among many, many, many computers in the world in a way that um, information can be saved and is basically unhackable. So because of that, it lends itself towards any sort of contract signing, uh, information storing, and, uh, and of course, money. So Bitcoin and, and all those other uh, cryptocurrencies that are popular right now. Um, it introduces something really cool, which is the uh, trustless state. Um, so basically, you don't need to trust anyone to to prove that you you own something. So in kind of a cool way, uh, ownership of you know, virtual goods now is more sure than ownership of uh, real world objects, which is a kind of funny thing. Um, and that and that all leads to. So that's the underlying layer, the distributed ledger. That's where you, you save stuff. And then on top of that, there are various apps. And because they are decentralized, because there is no one single point of failure or storage or control over um, blockchain, for example, um, or shouldn't be, at least, um, apps that uh, run on top of it are called uh, dApps, so de- decentralized apps. And... Um, that leads to a whole lot of, I think, stuff. Um, dApps are, um, maybe let's talk about types of dApps. There mm-hmm. are three types of dApps, I believe. Um, there are those that deal with money. There are those uh, which is the most popular thing because, of course, everyone's chasing that. Um, there mm-hmm. are dApps that, um, that where money is involved. But the, the main purpose of the, of the app is something else. And then there is another category, which is not so popular, but will be extremely popular, I think, and commonly, commonly used, is where the money is actually not, the cryptocurrency is not what the, the app is used for, but um, it's used to, for a lot of other things, such as voting or governance systems, management, um, and so on. What made you personally get interested and proficient and up to speed into this area? Interested? Um, we started mining Bitcoin in 2013 or 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, Long before the hype. Really excited, I think. <laughs> yeah. Before the 
That was, I, I would say that was at the hype, but it was just way smaller hype. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, was, I wasn't super early to the game, but um, um, so that was that was the early days. Um, it was purely cryptocurrency. Uh, we weren't even thinking about DApps at the time. But then, um, about a year and a half ago, we started working on a project, uh, which was um, a company that produced games. And as we developed those games, we realized that we need, um, or we could start using blockchain for transferring virtual goods. So we started working on a code, on a on a system for trading those virtual goods, um, which would was meant to be an ICO, uh, which we called off at uh, at some point, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we've learned a lot in the process, and since then uh, we've been. Uh, consulting with multiple ICOs and um, working on a couple of apps that are not released yet uh, publicly, but coming potentially soon. Uh, and again, uh, which I think will be pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I think that's what that's what brought me where I am. You mentioned there are three types of uh, of apps. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you think? Uh, would it make sense to uh, skip from classic architecture, which is storing something, you know, in a centralized manner? Essentially. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, to to DApps, uh, where all the information is secure and distributed. It's a big question. Um, <laughs> um, I think anything that. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of an inter- interesting subject because um, on one hand, you know, there are many people that um, that promote blockchain as a solution to so many things that drives this pop- its popularity that can, you know, topple banks and governments and change the world economy and so on, which, you know, it would could have the potential to do so um, technically. Um, on the other hand, it's so inefficient in the current state that a lot of big companies, um, very, very early even proponents of blockchain are actually centralizing things a little um, in order to to make it faster and easier and free to use, which is also uh, important because a lot of things that happen on the blockchain um, require a payment while we're sort of used to things like you know, transferring money on Venmo where it's, where it's free. Um, and as, uh, organizations like Coinbase are somewhat centralized, um, which is which has its own benefits. I think in general, governance, and the, you know, the dream would be that a lot of governance and running um, running organizations um, would be done in such manner. So on top of there are DApps, and then there is another thing, uh, which is DAO. DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization, and that leads to a, a brand new kind of organization, which is basically a company that sort of runs itself based on this consensus between multiple, you know, stakeholders, um, people involved. But there is no central person or group that controls the entire organization. The organization sort of runs itself. There is a, this popular example that um, a DAO would be um, like a driverless car mm-hmm. that just runs around the city and makes its own money and then goes to you know a charging station or a gas station, 
get the pace for its energy and then continues and it's like it operates <laughs> its own company for itself without any human involvement so um those things will be happening quite a lot of course money i think it's it, it will bring a lot of change uh, on the way we handle payments and so on of course there are a lot of issues brought by the centralization in the in its current shape so for example it doesn't make sense to use bitcoin to pay for a haircut anymore <laughs> uh, <laughs> but a lot of really really smart people are working to solve it and um, probably it will be solved at some point soon. It might not be blockchain. It might be a new technology called Hashgraph or something similar. Um, but uh, but there are a lot of people working to resolve those problems. And I believe in the future, a lot of apps will be uh, based on that. I think a very important uh, and interesting example is ownership. Um, so right now, if you store, you know, if you have access to your wallet, which is stored on blockchain, you have absolute ownership of the coin. It's on the distributed ledger. It's very unlikely to go ever down, uh, or at least for a long time. And you own whatever is stored there. And what is stored there can be money, but it can be any kind of information. It can be a reference to some uh, it can be certificate for for a piece of art or or whatever it is. So I think in the future there will be much more uh, blockchain used in or decentralized ledgers used in property, um, mm-hmm. um, car ownership, object ownership in general. Um, you know, it's going to merge with Internet of Things. At some point, all the things will be talking to each other, having their own money. <laughs> And they will be trackable and and their ownership is going to be undisputable. I think that's... In our pre-recording conversation, you mentioned that the complexity of uh, designing for um, the UX for such apps is that their decentralized structure communicates that complexity into the UX. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, well... um, it's uh, many people say it's uh, the state of blockchain is like the internet in 1994. You know, <laughs> people had to be early adopters. They had to know what TCP/IP is or HTTPS or HTTP. Then I guess um, people would know, need to know their protocols, the way to connect, the way to navigate. There was no Google, you know, um, and. Uh, and the, block, the state of blockchain is very similar to that. It's like you have to swallow quite a lot of knowledge in order to use anything. Even if you want to buy, you know, CryptoKitties, which is a very popular and fairly uh, widely adopted uh, blockchain-based game, you still need to know how to operate an Ethereum wallet, how to get MetaMask, which is like a form of uh, a way to pay for those. And, um, and it, it involves quite a lot of technical knowledge. You need to acquire your Ethereum on some exchange, you know, so you need to use that exchange. Usually you need to submit some paperwork to do that. And, um, and it's quite complex right now. And many people say it is like the Internet in early stages, and that's why decentralized uh, apps or um, apps will take another 10 years or or even longer for mass adoption, or 15 years, uh, because that's what it happens to the internet. But I don't think that's necessary. I think 
Um, because we've got all those patterns and solutions that we've developed uh, throughout the growth of internet and for other apps, uh, like you know, many brilliant fintech apps like Revolut and or Venmo and, uh, and many other um, UX patterns that we've developed over time in the, in the last um, 10 years can be used to speed up this process. So I think if we iterate on it fast, we can actually bring dApps to mass adoption much quicker than it was being with internet and make it make them much more usable uh, quite quickly. Uh, Platform-wise, it, it doesn't matter what platform we're talking about. It can be an interface on iOS, Android, mobile, web app, anything. Am I correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. It can be absolutely anywhere. It could be on the fridge. It will be, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So what is that complexity that translates to the UI? Uh, it's, it's really hard to, you know, tell but not show, but maybe you could give us an example or an idea. Uh, the classic interface uh, with, uh, you know, create, edit, delete, controls, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, content lists, et cetera, is it still applicable to dApps or are there entirely new patterns that need to be developed? Some things are, some things are not, and, uh, and there are ways to make um, bridge those things. So, for example, for the, I think for the most part, almost everything would be applicable, um, such, such as you know content control generation and so on, and, and consumption uh, information exchange. There are some things that are new or different. Mm -hmm. um, firstly. Um, I think uh, the most important probably thing right now that we're battling with is um, if you have direct access to your wallet, um, you have your you know, certain kind of password, the, the private key to um, to access it and access your whatever you have stored there. Um, most likely it will be some form of money. Um, that password once lost is never, it cannot be recovered. So if you forgot that um, that string or lost it somewhere, there's just no way to get it back. That's why so many people, you know, lost millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin because they just misplaced or forgot their um, their, their private key. So one thing, one UX pattern that we're used to, you know, like we don't really remember passwords often because we can always click forgot password and uh, for something that we haven't used in a moment, and and we get an email and we just log in back. Um, that's not possible with a wallet. So oh, wow, but what, so do <laughs> but what do you do? But what do you do? You just, I think you just get to terms with your loss. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just nothing you can do. However, um, you know there are of course solutions to that. So there is like a buffer. Like then you know you can have your wallet within some semi-centralized. Um, organization or somewhere which has its pluses and minuses, of course. You don't have the full control, but you have the ease of use. And, and um, for example, Coinbase, you know, like you can keep your Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it is in Coinbase, and you don't have, you don't know your private key. It's never even shared with you. You just have an email password. You can click for good password, access that, and transfer your money in, in or out. This will require some solutions because it's the question between, you know, all, all blockchain and dApps are based on, on those principles of fairness and transparency. And um, 
and um, being recentralizing things or keeping them centralized causes uh, some issues there. But um, I think UX or usability may win, and we'll see much more centralized apps where, for example, um, there's an app like Venmo and money is just transferred within uh, one wallet. Like you never, the money never leaves the wallet, and you get free transactions between people. You essentially, you know, you can I can send you some Bitcoin. It doesn't cost me anything, and it's instant instead of taking some time and costing you know, fifty dollars. And um, it's not decentralized almost at all, but the ledger is still held there. And if you trust the organization, um, then it works. Now that uh, that actually brings me to to an interesting thing. There is um, something that users need to adopt to is they need to start trusting uh, organizations that are based on trustless state. Um, and um, I think as those organizations and patterns and um, solutions develop, we're going to start trusting these much more. Um, you know, I think everyone pretty much would trust Coinbase to be fine to some extent with uh, keeping their coin. Is is just one example. There is, uh, for example, another thing which we're used to, which is undo. We can, you know, we make a change and then like we did something wrong and we can undo it. On the blockchain, you can never undo it. You can technically, you know, reverse. You can't reverse it, but you can do the same thing backwards. You can just add another entry. But uh, it's not undoing. You can't just undo something that's saved on the blockchain. So, for example, if you were to have a text editing tool which saves every change on the blockchain, it wouldn't make sense because, first, you can't undo. Secondly, you would pay for every phrase added so and so on. So <laughs> uh, it, would be, it would be very slow. So you wouldn't have the opportunity to save on the database whatever you're editing. It would be better if you if there was you know a save event that happens from time to time, or you trigger it, or maybe that's the the, the copy you're editing is kept off off chain. Off chain means something that's in a centralized database, uh, and and then um, just the reference to what you created um, is kept on chain. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you for these examples. They kind of bring at least uh, clarity to to understanding that. Mm -hmm. um, can you please explain one concept to me? So the in apps, in decentralized apps, uh, the data and the ownership is is distributed. However, there are still owners of the app, right? There is a development team, there is a UX designer sitting somewhere and taking control of the experience, right? Yes. Yeah. So how does that work? Uh, probably leads us to questions about how, how do such projects monetize at all? Do they bring money or are they a non-profit by definition? I think it would be fairly uh, naive to think that many <laughs> of those are for non-profit, but <laughs> especially in the current gold rush. Um, there are many idealists, there are many people working on amazing, beautiful things, but I think large, most of people are here to make a lot of money, and they do. Mm -hmm. um, ways to monetize are many. They don't necessarily involve charging the user. They might involve you know, increasing value of your own token or many other ways. Um, um, what was the other part of your question? About, Sorry, about the team taking responsibility of, uh, of the app? Yes. Um, so usually there is 
there is always a team that develops the app. The, the way it works is the ch the chain is usually run by a foundation or some organization. It's often separate from the company that creates the, the app. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it will be the same one, but the app itself is the client uh, to the chain. Now, I think an interesting example would be CryptoKitties because it's fairly popular. And um, for those that don't know it, it's a game uh, where you can buy a cat or a few of those. Uh, they cost anything between a few dollars and I think a hundred thousand dollars. And um, and you can you can um, sire you can you can make that cat meet a cat lady and have cat babies. And those <laughs> kitties are for sale. And then you start making some money with that or you can sell your cats as it increases and because they use a certain genetics algorithm those cats um, are very each of those is very likely to be different because I think there are like two, two billion possibility, possible cats and uh, some of them are more rare uh, than others and some of them have better qualities like for example they can mate more often or they look better and so on and uh, and those have higher value. So you always have that chance that if something happens, and uh, you, you will end up, um, if you invest well, you will end up with uh, very, very valuable kittens and you can sell them and make money. Um, I think that's what drives most people there. Um, <laughs> now, the interesting thing is that it's, um, that game is developed by a company. Now it just spun off of, of the agency that built it in first place, which is Axiom Zen. A great studio, and um, and uh, that, that the company runs the entirety of the of the game, the app. So all the graphics, uh, the cat, you know, the cat is basically a two D illustration um, or a bunch of illustrations uh, put together. Those um, all those cats and the, the entire interface and so on are proprietary, and that's just run by the organization, which is now a startup. Um, which just you know raised a round of funding and it's gonna act and behave like any other uh, tech company. While the cats are stored, so the reference, the, the DNA code of the cat uh, is stored on chain, and it's just like it's a pretty short uh, string of letters and numbers that uh, indicates uh, properties of that cat. The Cats have no value without uh, the company. So if um, CryptoKitties, the company, decided to suddenly quit business, they didn't raise money, they, they shut down or whatever, everyone in the who owns cats, who are again worth up to, I think, maybe even more now than $100,000, um, they basically end up owning a little string on the chain. So, uh, so there is that risk that um, the app is always still run by a group of people. And at least for the moment, this is the pattern. Mm -hmm. while, um, while the information is stored on the, on the chain. So even though the um, ownership of that cat is absolutely sure, the cat might just disappear into, it could turn into ownership of a string of uh, letters and numbers. Mm -hmm. Which, let's translate the situation into let's say, an ideal situation of uh, some distributed government uh, or something mm -hmm. serious, right? Uh, there mm -hmm. is always going to be um, a company that provides an interface to, to that data, which otherwise would be faceless. 
Is that my correct assumption? Um, at least for now, yes. It's a, it's a sort of unresolved problem. I think eventually we will end up in a situation where the app layer uh, is also uh, at least governed or managed in a in a decentralized manner. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, yeah, there will be someone that developed it and they could tamper with the information as it comes between. And, uh, and it's possible. The cool thing about it is it's also pretty unlikely because anyone that has some knowledge of blockchain can just go and check it because it's public. So anyone can check the information they get. And that's the cool thing because if it was a centralized database, nobody has access to it and you can't actually know whether that information is true or not. Here you get some result in the interface, it might be false, but then you can check that against the blockchain and there you know for sure whether it's true or not. So so we can do some manipulation, but it's easy to prove uh, that it's false. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Is there any literature no or articles or blogs that can help our listeners get up to speed? Because of course, 30 minutes is not enough to to learn a lot about the topic. Um, good question. I think there was there was a great um, article on um, on Medium. I haven't. This is all conversational information coming from white papers and so on, Mm -hmm. which is like hard to access information often. I mean, I would really recommend reading the Ethereum white paper, which Mm -hmm. and Bitcoin perhaps as well to understand the phenomenon. There is a great podcast. There is an interview uh, by Tim Ferriss uh, with Nick Sabo, Mm -hmm. who um, was instrumental to you know, creation of uh, Bitcoin. And um, it's a great, great introduction. It's an interview with someone who has absolute breadth of knowledge uh, on the subject, and he explains it bit by bit uh, in a very well-structured conversation. So I would recommend that. It's uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast. I think it was came out maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom on this interesting topic today. Where can mm-hmm. people find you and your great work online? Um, so our website is at hukuiku, which is H-O-O-K-O-O-E-K-O-O dot C-O. So <laughs> once again, it's H-O-O-K-O-O-E-K-O-O dot C-O, which is the name of a tribe that used to be where San Francisco is. And um, <laughs> and you can find our work there. From there, there are some uh, some links to some extra stuff. I'm also on Medium, and uh, my Medium is at uh, M-A-T-C-Y. I recommend your Medium for beautiful pictures as well. <laughs> and there are some pictures from my travels. <laughs> right. much, but I promise I will. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom today. And I hope our listeners get some takeaways into this interesting ecosystem. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It will help other people discover this podcast.